1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I would like to begin by reading verses 1 through 12. I taught on verses 1 through 5 last new moon. And we're going to teach on verses 6 through 12 today. But I want to read 1 through 12 to get more of the context. So we'll read this and then we'll have a word of prayer over the requests and over the rest of the meeting. How many love Yahweh's word? It's great. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And above all, that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men, but to the Almighty, since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. And the person who speaks in another language builds himself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. Verse 6. But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other languages, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even inanimate things producing sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and all have meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous in the matters of the Spirit, seek to excel in building up the church. So let's pray together. What we need right now, Yahweh, is for you to Bless our minds because we're frail human beings and apart from your grace and your mercy and your spirit upon our life, we cannot know anything. So we need you to bless our understanding. And we're so thankful that you give us a promise in your word that if we just obey you, we'll have a good understanding. So thank you for that, Father. I lift you up today, Father Yahweh. I praise your holy name, Yahweh. As Brother Tim read earlier, Yahweh, your name endures forever. And Father, I'm thankful today that we know your name and not just know it, but we use your name. And Father, I'm so thankful for you showing that to us. And might we, Father, be encouraged to share with others about your holy and righteous reputation in your name. Father, Yahweh, help us in the areas where we fall short. Father, help us not to get bogged down. Uh, Father, when we are tempted and we fall into temptation and commit sin, I pray, Father Yahweh, that we would not just wash around in it, 
but that we would get out of it as quickly as possible and repent and be extremely sorrowful and move on in the other direction and obey the next time we're tempted in that area. Help us, Father Yahweh, in those areas where we struggle with our sin. Father, for the sermon today, I can't do it by myself. I don't have the power. I need you to lead and guide me. I pray that you'd bring my notes back to my memory. And I pray that above all, that you would get glory from the sermon. I pray that your son would be glorified. And Father Yahweh, I don't know how else to do that but just to preach the Bible. And I know that if I just preach the Bible and not what I want or what I think, that your word will never, ever return void. It will always do what you want it to do. And it's a sweet-smelling savor, Father Yahweh, to you. And so I'm just so thankful. Father, help me to be patient with people and long-suffering as a minister. And I just pray, Father, that you'd grant us more and more grace and wisdom in our life. For it's through your Son, Yeshua of Nazareth, that I pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14, 6-12. Last week we covered a lot of information about the gift of languages. On the Sabbath day, we covered Acts chapter 2, we covered Acts chapter 10, and we covered the end of Mark chapter 16. And then on the new moon, we covered 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. That's a lot of verses. And today we're going to cover 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12, but I want to encourage you to go back over the previous three lessons on this subject that I've been teaching about. There's been a whole lot of information that I've given so far, and I know that it's difficult to remember everything, even when I'm speaking in a language that you understand. It's still difficult to remember everything. You know, I'm the one that preaches the sermons, and I don't even remember everything that I preach. Sometimes I have to go back and read my own notes. Sometimes I have to go back and listen to my own sermon. When someone asks me, Brother Matthew, what do you believe about this? And I can't remember. So I go back to when I was studying and I took extensive notes and I can tell them what I believe after I look at my own notes. So I don't expect you to remember everything that I say, but that's one of the reasons why I record the sermons so that they can be used by everybody here and also for many, many years, however long Yahweh tarries, for many, many years from now, that they'll bless people in their study of the Scriptures. So you can go to the website, ministersnewcovenant.org, and you can download or listen online to the sermons for review or for your own personal study. And I know everybody here knows this, but if anybody's listening by way of telephone, there's no need to worry. Every single piece of information on the website is completely free of charge. Freely we have received, freely we give. It's one of the first things that I learned from Brother Arnold when I was about 16 years old and I didn't have a clue what I was doing but he said, can you get on the radio with me and we're going to talk about the Bible. And I remember at the end of every broadcast he would say, don't send us your money. Wow. That's something you don't hear many preachers say, do you? Wow. I mean, most say sow your seed and receive so many fold back. And I'm not against giving. Brother Frankie was exactly right. Yeshua said, give and it will come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give to your bosom. I do have some people send monetary offerings to me and I don't reject them, but I don't feel comfortable putting a price on anything that I write or that I speak about. 
I let the person be dealt with by Almighty Yahweh, and if they want to give out of their own free will, then that's great, and I believe Yahweh will bless them for it. But everything on the website is completely free of charge. This truth is good enough to buy, but it's not for sale, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. It's priceless. That's right. So, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing how you think you can have a handle on a biblical subject or a doctrine And sometimes you do know some things about that doctrine, but until you actually spend time digging deep into the text, months, reading, rereading, studying, until you do that, you don't really know what the text originally was meaning. The Bible is so fruitful. It's unlike any other book in the world, and it is the bestseller, the number one bestseller of all time. Every time you read a text, every time that I've went back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in the past two or three months, I guess I've been studying it, every single time I see something different that I didn't see before. Not contrary or not way out there in outer space, but I'm just saying I get a little bit deeper understanding that I didn't have before. A pastor friend of mine when I was growing up, and I was in what they called a young Timothy's class, studying to be a minister of the Word. He said that when you read a text of Scripture, read it at least seven times through. Like if you're picking a chapter or uh, certain paragraphs of verses, read it seven times through, and it'll get deep into your mind. Then go back and do your study and do your sermon notes and all that kind of good stuff. So I encourage you to continue. Don't let the Sabbath meeting or the New Moon meeting be the only time that you study 1 Corinthians 14. You might be studying about other things right now, and that's great. But if you want to follow along in the sermons, you'll be blessed if every single day you spend or you take some time. How long will it take you? Maybe five minutes to read the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. But the more you read it, the greater understanding you will receive. Praise Yahweh. And pray before you read. Pray and ask Yahweh to open up His Word to you and let you see the truth. So I began this study on the spiritual gift of languages I began the study with an already held belief from previous study in past years. The first person, this is not going to come as any surprise, and you know I'm not trying to uh, puff up anybody in particular, but we give honor where honor is due, amen? The first person to ever, I believe, teach me the truth about this subject was, drumroll, Brother Arnold. <laughs> he comes up a lot, and that's because I was mentored a lot even at an early age. Yahweh called me by His grace when I was young. He doesn't call everybody when they're young. And that's okay. Some people He calls. Abraham was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees at age 75, Brother Ron. Wow. 75. But I was called when I was young. I grew up believing the Bible when I was wearing a diaper. Hallelujah. A little suckling there. So, as I begin to grow older, I believe that Yahweh gave me a new heart, and a new mind, somewhere between the age of 14 and 16 years old. Somewhere in there, because ever since that has happened, I have never been the same. I've never been the same. I wake up thinking about the Scriptures. I go to bed thinking about the Scriptures. I can't help talk about the Scriptures. I get upset when I go through a day And I don't get into a biblical discussion because I feel like I've let Yahweh down. 
So Yahweh's changed my heart and gave me a new heart. But at the age of about 16, I got to meet my dear brother Arnold, who I'm blessed enough to have as a father-in-law. And he started to teach me the word and go over a lot of these scriptures. And one of the things I asked him about many years ago, what about the gift of tongues, brother Arnold? And he said, well, and this wasn't any surprise to me either because I'd already heard this several times. Well, I don't see that exactly how most people do. <laughs> he would always say that on many different subjects. Well, how do you see it? And he began to share it with me. And I will tell you right now, the first time that I heard what he told me, the first time it was shared with me, it did not sit well with me, and I did not want to believe it. Because I had been taught differently growing up in church. And for about two years, I struggled with that. But by the grace of Yahweh, I believe I finally was able, after two years at the age of 18, to submit to what I feel the Bible teaches on the gift of languages. So I had previously studied this subject, so I entered into this fresh study over the past two months with a previously held belief. But I told myself when I entered back into studying this that I wanted to be honest and serious with the text of Scripture. And I pray, brothers and sisters, I pray that that's what I'm doing. Because sometimes we don't even realize that we're reading something into the biblical text that is just not there, myself included. We all have that problem. We all read the Bible with certain biases and prejudices embedded in our mind. And sometimes we don't even realize it. They're stuck way back there. And they come out when we read. And sometimes we interpret the Bible by a thought pattern that is erroneous. When we need to do our best, you pray and you ask Yahweh to clear your mind. You do your best to study fresh and study what the Bible has to say. So I've learned some new things in my recent studies on the gift of languages, and for that I am very thankful. And I hope and I pray that you all are learning as well. Because I want to speak in a way that edifies the church and builds you guys up. So by way of review, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1-5, what we talked about on the new moon, number one, remember that we talked about the pursuit of love. That's the most important thing with the spiritual gifts, that we pursue love when we operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Love for the body of the Messiah. And we also talked about the desire for spiritual gifts in last sermon. That's not wrong to have a desire for spiritual gifts. He starts the chapter off, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. We discussed that verse 2 is generally misunderstood as meaning a completely unknown tongue or language. The proper understanding is that it is unknown to the audience in 1 Corinthians 14. But it is known to Yahweh. Why? Because he's the creator of all the languages of the earth. We then talked about how mysteries in the spirit means revelatory truths. And it's a mystery because the person you're speaking it to in the church doesn't understand what you're saying. We talked about that. And we also discussed how that spiritual gifts are not given to build ourselves up, but they're given for the common good. They're given to build up the church. Verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 14 is often read wrongly to say that it is a good thing if someone builds up their self, but it's not. It's a negative thing because it's contrasted with the one who prophesies builds up the church. The one who speaks in another language in the church setting builds up himself, puffs up himself. You're not to do that. You only operate in that gift when it is needed for edification. See? So we ended by noting that although the gift of languages usually gets the number one position in 1 Corinthians 14, and I'm not knocking the gift of languages, you'll see at the end of the chapter, 
he tells us that we're not to despise prophesyings and we're not to forbid speaking in other languages. But they're to be done in decency and in order and in the proper time and in the proper method. Tongues usually gets the number one place in 1 Corinthians 14, but it's actually in second place to the gift of prophecy. Greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh in another language. That's what verse 5 says. And the key at the end of verse 5 is, so that the church may be built up. So now we start with our new verses today, new to us in the study. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6. Look at part A. Paul says, but now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other languages, how will I benefit you? I'm going to stop right there for a second. I want you to notice that the key word here is benefit. How will I benefit you guys today if I had the gift of languages, which I do not have that gift, but if I did, how would I benefit you if I began to use that gift in my preaching? And the answer is, I would not. You wouldn't understand anything that I said, not a word. Verse 6b, let's read the whole thing again. But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other languages, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Now, that's why this verse says, unless I speak to you by these other means, in these other ways. All of this means in verse 6b, it's contrasted with tongues. These are gifts prophecy and knowledge and teaching and wisdom. These are gifts that can be used for the building up of the church. Why? Well, it's because they're able to be understood in the church. That's why they benefit. And I don't want you to forget that the setting in 1 Corinthians 14 is not the feast day at Pentecost in Jerusalem where there's many different people that speak many different languages. The setting is the church at Corinth, and in Corinth the language was Koine Greek. Like I said last week, the church at Rockdale, our common language is English. So the setting is the church. In verses 4 through 5, he mentions the church. In verses 18 through 19, he mentions the church. In verse 23 and 28, he mentions the church. And in verses 34 through 35, he mentions the church. And when he mentions the church, the ecclesia, he's not necessarily talking about the building. The building has came to be known as the church because that's generally where people that believe in the Messiah gather to fellowship. But we can meet at a park for a holy convocation under an oak tree and it would still be the church setting. See, And that's what 1 Corinthians 14 is about. The setting of the church where one language is predominant in the congregation. So Paul is saying in verse 6 that to use the gift of languages in this particular setting will not benefit the people he's gathering with in the setting of the church. So we go to verse 7. Verse 7 says, Even inanimate things producing sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or the harp be recognized? Paul moves to inanimate objects. Now the word inanimate, if you're reading the King James Version, it is translated as things without life. Lifeless things. And even these things, like the flute and the harp, and that's what I've titled this sermon, Flutes, Harps, and Trumpets, and you'll see why in a second. Even the flute and the harp are capable of producing distinct sounds and distinct notes when they're being used for instrumental purposes. Now, I'm more aware of this now than ever, playing in the band August Rain since 2007. I grew up you know, playing an instrument, bass, and guitar, and knowing some about music and being set in front of all kind of different people as I was a little child and told to sing this song 
as I stood there with my sister scared to death in front of a bunch of strangers many times. But we would sing a song in church because my dad was a minister of music and a pastor, and we were the PK, the preacher's kids. And so we got to sing all the songs in front of everybody. And, you know, I'll just be honest, it wasn't always enjoyable. But we were disciplined and told to do it whether we enjoyed it or not. And now I understand why, and I'm thankful for for the uh, strict uh, order that my dad gave me in my life. Praise Yahweh. Somebody can say amen. It's getting quiet in here. Hallelujah. So I've been playing a song at a concert, and I've hit the wrong chord on the guitar in the song. It's amazing how that no matter how much you play a song, and you might can play it perfectly, but there's sometimes when your mind completely goes blank. Sometimes we'll be at practice, and we'll start a song, and we've played that song hundreds of times, and all of a sudden I can't remember the first words of the song. It's weird. Just you draw a blank. So I've done this at concerts before, and it's painfully obvious to my ear that that note that's out of place doesn't jive with the rest of the song. It doesn't fit. It doesn't go. Or let me say this. If I try to play a song like Wonderful Savior or Let It Rain, and I try to play those songs strictly in the key of G, and that's it, and I never move out of G, it will be crazy. You would not be able to hear the beauty of the song because the various notes and the distinct sounds are not being made from that inanimate instrument. You wouldn't know that it was Wonderful Savior. You'd be like, um, okay, Matthew, are you ever going to switch keys? Let's go to another key. You're supposed to go up there or you're supposed to go down there. Now look at verse 8. In fact, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? Paul here brings up the trumpet. And our minds, if we know the Hebrew Scriptures, should go back to Numbers chapter 10 where he talks about that there were two silver trumpets that were to be made and they were to be made for various purposes. Sometimes these trumpets will be blown in such a way that it would call the assembly together. Sometimes they will be blown in such a way as for a battle cry. And Paul says, even the trumpet, if it makes an unclear sound, who will know in the army that it's time to prepare for the battle. So, when you blow a trumpet to call for battle, you do not blow the funeral call, do you? The burial call. You've heard that? My Papa Booth, he was in the military, and at his death years and years ago, they had the guy that played there on the trumpet or the bugle or whatever you call it, and the song, you know, When you hear that, You can be walking or driving and you hear that, you automatically know somebody is being buried that was in the military. That's a funeral sound. That's a distinct sound that you would not blow if you were calling for battle. So even these lifeless objects, even these inanimate objects that don't have life, they have to be used in an orderly way. They have to be used in a way that is harmonious to somebody's ear. The different and distinct notes the different and distinct sounds. Verse 9. In the same way, King James Version, I think, says likewise. So he's comparing the inanimate objects to what he's about to say in verse 9. In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. Unless you use your tongue that Yahweh has given you for the purpose of speaking forth intelligible speech. What does that mean? Speech that can be understood. 
unless you use your tongue in that manner in the congregation, how is anybody going to know what you are saying? This is the answer. They're not. They're not going to know. They're not going to understand. They're not going to be able to be edified. If I got up here and preached a whole sermon in the Hebrew tongue, you'd get mad. What in the world are you doing? Well, I'd be building up myself, but I sure wouldn't be building you guys up because you wouldn't understand a word that I was saying for a 30-minute Hebrew sermon, let's say. doesn't make any sense. The text says that you're just speaking into the air. Speaking to the air is not a good thing. You want to use your tongue for intelligible speech, just like the flutes, the harps, and the trumpets are used in distinct ways. Hopefully you see that. Now, this is why, as I've mentioned in previous sermons, even with public speaking, in an understandable language, even when I get up here and speak to you guys at the congregation, or if you hear somebody do some public speaking in a language that everybody understands, you have to take care to do it properly. You don't want to speak too slow. You don't want to speak too fast. You don't want to speak monotone. You want to use cadence. I don't want to get up here and talk like this for the whole sermon so you will not be able to be built up. You see how crazy that would be? You have to speak in a way that is building up people and edifying people even when you use the language they understand. You have to use your gift to build up the church. So Paul's point, though, in this text, first and foremost, is use a language that the person can understand so that they can be built up or else you're speaking into the ear. They're not going to know what you're saying. Now, I have heard many sermons in my upbringing, and I believe a lot of times it's because simply certain preachers just don't know the truth about the gift of languages. But I've heard many sermons in my upbringing where a preacher would be preaching in English the language that the congregation would understand, and then all of a sudden the preacher would break out in about 10 to 20 seconds of what he believed was the gift of tongues. And the people in the congregation would get more excited when he did that, then when he spoke in English. I don't know why, because they didn't understand a word that he said. They don't know what he said. See. As a matter of fact, that's not to be done. What's to be done is to speak in a language that the congregation understands. See, we have to go by what the Bible tells us. The Bible is our God. We have to go by what the Bible tells us. And Paul is making it very plain that the goal is to speak in a language that's understandable, not in a language that is not understandable. Let's read verse 9 again. In the same way, in the same way as what? The flutes, the harps, and the trumpets. Unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. Verse 10. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and all have meaning. Now, the Apostle Paul knows that in the world there is a multitude of different languages. And notice that he says all of these languages have meaning. That's a key. They all have meaning. There is no such thing as a tongue or a language that nobody understands. No such thing biblically as that. You'll notice if you're reading a King James Version Bible that the text often says in 1 Corinthians 14, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue. That's the Bible I grew up on, KJV. Great translation. I don't prefer it. It's a great translation of the Bible. However, the word unknown in the King James Version is italicized. And the italicized words in the King James Version are put in italics to remind the reader that when he gets to them, they're added by the translators. 
there's no Greek word behind the italicized word. If you look up the italicized word in the Strong's Concordance, you won't find a Greek word in the New Testament for that word. It was added by the translators. Sometimes I think italicized words are good because they add clarity and they don't take away the meaning of the text. Sometimes, though, I think that they're bad. And I think that the word unknown in 1 Corinthians 14 has been abused to think that the tongues being spoken about are completely unknown to anybody, when in reality what Paul is saying is they're unknown to the person in the congregation that speaks Koine Greek, but he doesn't understand you when you use the gift of languages. Paul's not saying that somebody else in another part of the world could not understand the gift of languages if he spoke in them. As a matter of fact, we have many different nations on the day of Pentecost that understood in their own language and even their own dialect, their way of speaking. So the gift of tongues has its purpose and has its place. Paul is saying, though, look, there's many different kinds of languages in the world. They all have meaning. And I don't necessarily, brothers and sisters, let me say this before I move on. I don't necessarily have a problem with the word unknown in the KJV of 1 Corinthians 14 as long as we understand that the language being spoken was known by somebody in the world just like verse 10 says. Read verse 10 again. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world and all have meaning. Somebody understands them. This isn't talking about Yahweh understands them. We know Yahweh back in verse 2, he understands every single language. This is talking about person to person. There's many languages and each one of them has a meaning. So if somebody claims to speak in tongues or use the gift of languages and they say that it's a completely unknown language to anybody on the earth, you know that can't be the biblical gift because all languages have meaning. I was taught growing up that when you spoke in the gift of tongues, it was speaking in a language that the devil could not understand. That's what I was taught. There was no Bible verse that was shown to me that says that. But I believed it because I was a young man and I believed that you know, the most things that I was told to me, I you know, believed that they were correct. But when we come of age and we put away childish things and we grow up and we study the Bible, if we're going to have a doctrine that says that the gift of languages is a gift that the devil can understand, we need to have a Bible verse to back it up. We don't need to just believe something because somebody told it to us. See. So the unknown part factors in like this. The language was unknown in the church because no one in the church knew that particular language. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 11. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. Now, do you see this? Paul says, if I do not know, talking about himself, if someone has the true gift of tongues, the true gift of languages, and operates in it in the church where no one knows that language, then it's meaningless to the people. Yahweh understands. Somebody on the earth would understand if they heard it, but it's meaningless to the audience that's in the setting of the church. And this is why Paul says, you will then be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to you. And he's talking about in the context of the language that's being spoken. You might both be from the town of Corinth. You might both be able to speak Greek. But if you start operating a gift that the other person doesn't understand, it's like you're a foreigner to each other because there's no comprehension there. It's as non-beneficial as trying to just talk with a person who speaks a different language. What do I mean by that? Well, I have done jobs before for people that only spoke Russian. Yeah, it's very difficult 
You're out there and you're flailing your arms and you're trying to say, well, what about this and this and all this and you're using your motions and everything. Because why? It is hard to communicate when the Russian doesn't speak English and the Englishman doesn't speak Russian. It's very difficult. Very difficult. In that regard, we're foreigners to each other in our speech. Verse 12. So also you... Since you are zealous in matters of the Spirit or matters of spiritual gifts, some translations say, seek to excel in building up the church. There's our phrase again. That's the key. Build up the church. So in verse 12, Paul does not correct them for their zeal. He doesn't say, look, you guys are too zealous and you need to get rid of all that zeal. No, he doesn't say that. He says, what you need to do is channel that zeal. Use that zeal in matters of the Spirit. Use it to excel in the area of building the church up. So, what does Paul tell them to do here? And it's funny that, as I've said before in previous messages, this is the only New Testament epistle, apart from the historical book of Acts and a possible mention in the Gospel of Mark, this is the only New Testament epistle that even mentions the gift. This is where many denominations get their promotion of the gift from 1 Corinthians 14, but the text is actually Paul rebuking the Corinthians and correcting them for how they're doing it wrongly. Paul never tells these people in here, keep seeking for the gift of tongues. He never tells these people, keep praying until you get the gift. He never tells these people, you won't be satisfied until you get the gift. I asked a man one time, I said, brother, do you believe that I have to speak in tongues? And I believe he had an incorrect understanding of the gift of tongues, but I asked him, I said, do you believe I have to use that gift in order to have the Holy Spirit or to be saved? And his answer was, Brother Matthew, I believe you will not be satisfied until you do it. That's the answer. Once again, it's not in here. It's not in here. Everybody doesn't have the same gift, Brother Ron. Some people do have the gift of languages, but everybody doesn't have to have it. Some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have the gift of helps. Some people are an apostle. Some people are a prophet. So you don't have to have this gift to be saved. You don't have to have this gift to have the Holy Spirit. We want to go by what the Bible says. What does Paul say? If you're zealous in matters of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, this is what you need to excel in. Building up the church. Seek to use your gift to build one another up. Speak in a language that they can understand. If you have the gift of languages today, if you're sitting here and you have the true bona fide gift of languages, which I believe is possible to have today, I do. If someone walks into the congregation that doesn't speak a lick of English and they sit down beside you, then by all means, you have the authorization to use that gift. Why? Because it will build that person up. As I begin to talk, in English, and they can't understand me, and you have the gift of languages, and you sit beside them, and you use that gift, and it's pouring out of you, and they're looking, and they're, they're shaking their head, and they're crying, and they're rejoicing, and they're raising their arms because they understand you when you're using that gift. Praise Almighty Yahweh. Somebody's being built up. Somebody's being edified. So in conclusion, I think I have four concluding points. Point number one. Take this home with you. Have you learned anything from these lessons on the gift of languages? Have you learned anything from the text of the Bible? You know, I'm doing my best to bring forth these lessons in a way that's easy to understand. And if you are learning from these lessons, you're being built up, right? You're being built up. I want you to imagine. This is the fourth sermon I've taught on this subject. I want you to imagine 
What if I preached all these sermons in a language that you didn't understand? You would be no better off than you were four services ago when we started. You wouldn't have a clue. Well, I've been listening to Brother Matthew, but he's been using the gift of languages when he teaches, and I don't know what he's talking about. See, we prophesy. When the minister gets up to speak, he takes on the office of a prophet of Yahweh, not because he's giving new revelation, but because he's expounding on what is inspired in the Bible. See? And so I'm using one aspect. There's other aspects of prophecy, like foretelling of future events. But I'm using one aspect of prophecy when I teach the Bible because it's the scriptures that are inspired. So it would be chaos unless I spoke in a language that you understood. I would be, let's say, like Paul said, speaking into the air. Speaking into the air. Concluding point number two. Remember that Paul says all languages have meaning in verse 10. Once again, he's not speaking in verse 10 about meaning between man and Yahweh, vertical. He's speaking about meaning between person and person. Of course, Yahweh understands all languages. Verse 2 tells us that. He's talking about in verse 10, all languages have meaning between people. As long as you've got the right people there, the language has a meaning. Paul clearly says here that when it comes to a tongue or language, somebody somewhere in the world, even though they may not be sitting in the church, somebody understands that language. There's no such thing in the Bible as a completely unknown language or tongue. Concluding point number three. Why would you want to operate in a spiritual gift? And remember, the gifts are for the common good. Why would you want to operate in a spiritual gift when that gift does not build up, teach, encourage, comfort, or give knowledge to somebody else? Well, I'll tell you why the Corinthians wanted to do it. Because they were the crusty Corinthians. And they had problems. But you know, we all have problems. There's not a church in this world that doesn't have problems. Somebody said, I'm looking for the perfect church. And I told the guy one time, I said, as soon as you join, it'll be the imperfect church. <laughs> there is no such thing as a perfect church. There's not. We all struggle. We all have battles. We all have times when we're the crusty Corinthians. We act just like them. Paul got on to them for so many things in this epistle. So many things. And one of the reasons that they were doing, it looks, it appears as though from the text, what was happening was they were in the middle of the service and somebody stood up and started bellowing off in a language that nobody understood. And Paul said, that's not even to be done. And he does say, unless someone interprets. And I believe, and we'll get into this next week, I believe that they already had foreknowledge or knew that someone else in the congregation had the gift of interpretation. We'll get into that next week. We should not use spiritual gifts to, to, to puff up ourselves but use them to edify the congregation. By all means, like I said, if you have the gift of languages and you enter into an arena or a venue that it is needed, then you use it and you edify that person with that gift that Yahweh's given you. Point number four. Be zealous. Be zealous for spiritual gifts. That's okay. Be zealous for it. But seek to channel that zeal properly. Channel it in the proper direction. Don't use the gift of languages when it's not needed. And don't use the gift of wisdom or the gift of knowledge to overtalk somebody. I'm guilty of that before. Witnessing to people that don't have as much biblical knowledge because they've not just studied or maybe they're new in the faith and I get beside myself and I spout off all kind of knowledge to them and it's going right here and I'm not building them up at all. 
So what I have to do is I got to pull the reins in. <laughs> Say, whoa, slow down. Slow down. You've been studying the Bible for 15 years. They're a month old in the Spirit. Don't try to give them everything at one time. See, so you can even abuse the other gifts of the Spirit. Wisdom, knowledge. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Channel your zeal in a way that's going to benefit the person that you're in contact with. Make sure that your motives are pure and make sure that you're seeking to help other people and not just make yourself look good. Amen. Next week, I hope to teach on 1 Corinthians... Let me look here before we close. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 19. So every day you can go back and read the whole chapter, but you can focus on 13 through 19. By Yahweh's will, His grace and mercy, I'll teach on that next Sabbath. How many love Yahweh? How many love me? Most of the time, right, brother? Hallelujah. Let's stand and have a word of prayer as we close. Praise Yahweh's name. Father Yahweh, thank You. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. I love You. I adore You. Thank You for our family here in this congregation. Who is my mother and my brother and my father, but those that do Your will, Yahweh. So I'm just thankful to be part of Your family, heirs of You, Yahweh, and co-heirs with Your Son. Father, I pray You just let us have a good work week. Keep us safe. Let Your angels camp around us. And bring us back here, Father, for more fellowship next week. We love one another, Father. And let us show that love when we go out into the world. Father, might we share the glorious gospel of the Messiah with people that are lost and dying in the world, the fact that He lived perfectly, died sacrificially, and was raised on the third day for our justification. Might we share that, Father, with the lost and dying world so that they can have the remission of sins by putting their faith in Your Son. I love You, Yahweh. It's through Your Son I pray. Amen.